Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan explores what keeps ourselves and others from experiencing a life of wholeness and love. It comes from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And so today, uh, you've heard the scripture, we're going to be talking about what it means to pick up your mat. Now, there are some things in life that we grow accustomed to that we don't really notice after a while. I mean, we use that phrase often about um, fish don't really know that they're in water, right? Uh, That happens in our life all the time with all kinds of things. Maybe it's family dynamics that you get so used to a certain way in your family and then all of a sudden somebody else comes into the family, whether that's a spouse or a significant other. All of a sudden the dynamics are different. You're like, sets you kind of on edge a little bit. Technology has been a big disruptor for a lot of us. If you've had to switch over from something that you've been used to doing on paper, now you have to do it on the computer. I know some of you know what I'm talking about here. (laughs) That can feel rather disruptive. Uh, Job, a new way of process. Maybe uh, a company bought out your company and now there's a whole new set of things you have to learn that all of a sudden you're like, oh, I took for granted all the things I knew and I was, uh, that I didn't even know because I was so accustomed to. Even our culture, our culture uh, in our country, in our, our cities or states, that sometimes culture shifts and changes and some of us feel like that you can't quite make that shift or change because you're so used to this certain way. So our first instinct is to kind of push back, right? We push back, we, f- we have some fear about it, we're so used to what we know, we don't want to go into the unknown and that it could change everything and you just don't know what it'll be like. My first mission trip I led here at New Hope uh, was the summer after Eric Holm, our previous associate pastor, took a call to Illinois. And on that trip, the one thing I kept hearing a lot from kids was like, well, Eric didn't do it that way. (laughs) Eric let us do this, Eric let us do that. So the change was disruptive to them on that trip. These dynamics are at play in our scripture for today. The story of the paralyzed man at the pool and then the religious teachers who confront him and later on, the the scripture that wasn't read, there's another piece of it where the religious teachers confront Jesus for healing the man on the Sabbath. So the man at the pool is so used to his daily life, his daily routine, it talks about it, that he sits at that pool and he waits for it to be stirred up. So when it's stirred up, they thought there was an angel that had come down and you get into the pool and then you're healed. And he could never get to the pool quick enough. But everybody else ran in there and he was left to try and get on his own. And so he couldn't imagine anything else to the point when Jesus asked him in our scripture for today that, do you want to be healed? Instead of responding with, yes, of course, he responded with an excuse about how he had been trying for 38 long years and he hadn't been cured. 
His hopes had been crushed so much and so many times that he couldn't find the energy or desire to see anything new, to, see, to desire or see any different future for himself. It would cost him too much to actively expect something that appears to have been permanently denied to him. Then there's the religious teachers, the teachers who confronted the healed man after he picks up his mat. First off, you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. Second, he was healed. By who? You can't heal on the Sabbath. The law teachers saw this and then they confronted Jesus about all of it because that was work, it was illegal, it wasn't supposed to be done on the Sabbath. They were so concerned with the law that they showed little regard for the cured man. They were struck with their inability to rejoice that a suffering person was restored to wholeness. They were so stuck on the law. Both of these characters in our story today aren't living into wholeness. They're not whole, to the point where they cannot even see that wholeness is possible. So the man at the pool, he's stuck in despair that this is always gonna be this way, that this is now who he is, this is his identity, that he is broken. He has dedicated his life to try to be healed, but no longer any hope that will happen. He has kind of been his former self, he's kind of become a shell of his former self. And then the teachers and authorities, they were stuck in the rigidity of the law that it puts them in a place where they continue to deny themselves and others of their true selves, their wholeness, because you have to follow the law. The law tells them that, it's, that yourself, your wholeness is bad and you shouldn't trust it and that you should uh, mask yourself with the righteous acts so that God will accept you. So the problem here is that when we fake it, when we walk around and hide behind our mask, we hide behind the law in order to make ourselves more acceptable to God and to others. We put our true selves and wholeness away because we've been taught that we need to be a certain way. Whether this is in your family, around your friends, at your job, at your church, sometimes we put on different masks for different places. I think of a story of someone I know and care for that is a police officer and he has witnessed some horrible things, some tragedies, natural disasters, uh, a tornado and the, the wreckage after that and uh, an inmate in the jail who uh, died by suicide and had to witness that. And we've I've asked him, you know, why don't, you go to therapy because he's been, he talked about how this is something that really weighs on him. And the answer was because you don't do that as a cop. But there's a certain facade, this certain mask you have to put on that you have to be tough and going to therapy would be admitting maybe you're weak and that something has bothered you too much and you're not strong enough to handle it. And that's kind of what legalism does. Legalism makes us put on a different face, a different mask, a different persona so that uh, we can be accepted by God and others. It'll suck you, into, uh, it suck you into a world and create a world in which you cannot even fathom anything different than what is the law. 
Legalism keeps you from wholeness. Legalism is the problem of the religious teachers in the scripture. Maybe you have had experience like this. Maybe you feel like you're walking around as somebody else. Like, hey, you haven't been able to truly be yourself around certain people or at your job, around your family. But Jesus is calling us to wholeness. Legalism keeps us from wholeness. It denies us of our true self, the self God created us to be. Jesus is calling the man at the pool in this story to wholeness. He's also calling us to wholeness. So then what is wholeness? What, what do we mean by that? I think there's a good definition um, from Chuck DeGroote, and he says, wholeness, it turns out, is our great inheritance, our deepest and truest self. This is the self that God created in you to be. And sometimes we know that self when we're kids, right? That we know we're just being, we are our self totally and fully. But somewhere along the way when we're adults, that we start to mask ourselves in different ways and that suddenly we're like, do I even know who I truly am? Who God created me to truly be? We get lost behind the mask. A little bit more about legalism. Legalism in faith is most concerned about preserving proper worship of God, right? It's not so much concerned about people and caring for people, but it's about these are the things we need to do in order for God to be pleased with us. In the Old Testament, that there was this time period where people thought the gods were angry with them. If there was a famine or if their crops didn't grow properly or their crops died and were eaten by bugs and insects, they thought they did something wrong to upset the gods and that was their punishment. So then the God of Israel came along and did something revolutionary. He came and gave these set of laws, he gave the tabernacle to the Israelites to show them this is where you stand with me. I am here with you in the tabernacle, and these are the things to do to know that this is our relationship. I see you, and now you see me. Which was revolutionary because the other gods were distant and far away, but this god was coming and uh, being with the people where they were at. But, just like Allie talked about in Discovery Time with the candy, sometimes too much of a good thing be can become bad. I don't know about the child, if, if Morgan, if she ate all the candy, if she would just be fine the rest of the day. I know for myself, if I ate all that candy in one sitting, I'd probably throw up later. Too much sugar in the stomach. And that's with a lot of things too, right? That there are certain medicines that are good in certain doses because that helps you and makes you healthier, but too much of it can be a bad thing. So the religious teacher's interpretation of the law became salvation for them. It became the thing. And anything that strayed from that would be labeled heretical, blasphemous, and evil. I read a story from somebody named Rebecca Hargraves. She wrote a kind of a blog post about this, uh, about her journey in legalism in church and her church community. She talked about how she 
felt like and was told that she had to pray every day. She had to take time to pray and read the Bible every single day. Otherwise, you won't grow properly as a Christian, that you won't follow the ways of God, that you'll kind of fall away. And ultimately, guess what happens? She wasn't able to read the Bible every day. She would forget. She would forget to pray. She forgot to take time out of her day for God. And what that did was it ended up making her feel shame, that she wasn't enough, that no matter how hard she tried, it just wasn't working. And so she wasn't able to follow the law correctly. And so her self-image began to deteriorate thing about legalism is it creates a terribly judgmental heart in us. You adhere to legalistic teachings and then begin to look down on yourself, and not just on yourself, but everyone else that isn't following through, because we often project our own issues onto others. It creates an environment of shame that we can never be enough, that the law keeps us on this string and this cycle that it's never enough. We can always do more. So we get caught up in that. That's what the religious teachers got caught up in. The law and legalism is built to keep you from being whole. Because once you're whole, guess what? You don't need the law anymore. So the law is built to keep you there. Legalism is built to keep you there. F.F. Bruce says that the law can show the way of life, but it cannot impart the will to choose life, or even impart life itself. The law can show us how we can, it can show the way to life, but it isn't life. So I believe most often we do not extend grace to others, that we can be upset with others and judgmental of them because we're not extending that grace to ourselves. And Jesus calls us to see our true selves. That's why we try to put on a mask to present ourselves as something that we're ultimately not. In the New Testament, Paul talks about Uh, to the church in Galatia at one point. His advice to them is to not to submit to Jewish law because this was a conversation with the first church after Jesus left. The whole thing between Gentiles and Jews and then if Gentiles could be Christians and if Gentiles were Christians, do they have to follow the Jewish law? And then Jews who are now Christians were asking the same thing, do I still have to follow the law? And Paul's advice was that they not submit to Jewish law that to be a Christian rather than a Jew, rather it was a challenge to be a Galatian in full view rather than hiding as something else, as a Galatian or a Gentile, not hiding behind something that really isn't them, the Jewish law. Paul knew that the law could, could form false selves, that it could create this mass, that we're just trying to play a part Paul was calling new Christians in Galatia, specifically Gentiles, to be fully them. In our scripture for today, the law kept the teachers from celebrating the healing man. We kind of laugh at it. We read these scriptures all the time with Jesus and the stories with the religious teachers, and we always kind of think to ourselves, they just didn't get it. Why didn't they get, didn't get it? 
But guess what? We don't get it either. We often fall into the tropes that the religious teachers do. Have you ever caught yourself judging somebody else and then kind of realizing at a certain point, oh, I've done the same thing. That's why it bugs you so much, because you see it in yourself. So at what degree do we accept our own brokenness and does that affect how we treat others, how we uh, treat our neighbors? That we, how we accept our sense of worth of ourselves that God sees in us? How's our disregard for neighbors in need of healing and wholeness diminishing the health and well-being of the community of faith? If we become so focused on making sure we check all the boxes of the law, we become like all the others at the pool. I think this is one interesting piece of the story that we kind of gloss over is that everybody else at the pool is just fending for themselves. They're not helping the man get to the the pool in time. They're just passing by him. We often do that also. Let's go back to Rebecca. Rebecca talked about her experience with legalism. This is what she says about kind of the result of all of that for her. She said, the result was that in my feelings of shame and self-condemnation, I began to view others through the same lens. And I put feelings of guilt and shame over onto them as well. It got so bad that I began to think that I could not even interact with, let alone befriend people who were different than me. I didn't have any friends who weren't Christian, let alone friends who were off, who were of a differing political viewpoint or lifestyle than myself. What I did not understand is that God's love is unconditional and that meant that my love for others could be as well. Regardless of what viewpoint they held to, loving someone does not at all mean you agree with, agree with or approve of every single last decision they make or thing they do, but in all my feelings of shame, I just could not grasp that. Rebecca discovered that legalism doesn't lead to life. And Jesus is calling us to wake up, just as he called the man at the pool to wake up. The word in Greek is igiri, and it's translated as rise or stand. But another translation that can be used is to awaken that Jesus has awakened this person at the pool to the true self that he is, to the wholeness that God has for him, that Christ offers him. Can Jesus awaken us then? Can Jesus awaken us to the things that we have grown accustomed to that are no longer serving us? So Jesus replied to the many religious teachers who interrogated him in this story, and that he claimed that his, life, his life's work is salvation, that that's the work of the salvation, that there are many ways one may choose to interpret his work, including that Jesus restores health, that there's practice of love and forgiveness, a call to justice for the oppressed, and the creation of communities where God's word is not only heard, but practiced in ways that glorify God. That is the salvation that Jesus is showing us. The law is not salvation, but Jesus is. 
The path of Jesus leads to the life that never ends. It leads to the wholeness that we will attain one day. But sometimes it requires vulnerability. It requires us to know that sometimes we may be wrong, that sometimes we may mess up. Jesus broke the law in order to care for others because the law was keeping others from helping those in need. And even in, this, in the interaction between Jesus and the person at the pool, he asks him, do you want to be healed? And he doesn't answer, but Jesus gives that gift to him by grace still. It didn't rely on him accepting Jesus and who he was, but it was given freely. That wholeness was a free gift given to him. And it's freely given to you too. It's not something we have to prove ourselves to God that we can be whole. But God has it there waiting for us. Now, in restoring the man to wholeness, the cure Jesus offers us is a robust life, a life that makes us feel whole, a life that gives us passion and care for others. God loved the world, therefore, that we may love. The religious authorities displayed little regard for the cured man in this story. They offered nothing like what Jesus offered him. So the differences we see between the two, between the religious teachers and Jesus, is that religious teachers are tied to law that's restricted, that, that they are focused on brokenness. But Jesus' focus turns to grace, freedom, and wholeness. Because that is the thing that will help us live into the kingdom of God here and now. We should examine our lives each and every week in the ways that we contribute, maybe to the ways that we keep shame on others, that we, that we keep from helping others. We can make excuses all we want, want about how we shouldn't help people or there shouldn't be this law passed or these social programs passed or things like that or the church shouldn't use their money in that way. We can always make excuses for things. We can always find the brokenness in things. But that keeps us from actually working towards wholeness in Christ. Once you become whole through Christ, once by seeing yourself through God's eyes, once you see that wholeness in the true self that God created you to be, you may no longer need the law. Not that the law is bad, not that the law doesn't do good things, but because it will be your natural tendency. That's something you won't even have to think about, but it'll be built in to your everyday life. It'll be the difference between the loss, oops, skipped over that one, sorry. So here's the cure. Here's what Jesus says. These are things that can help us find wholeness in our lives and others. Hospitality towards one another, to our neighbors. Forgiveness, practicing forgiveness to each other. Attend to the vulnerable. The vulnerable are the ones that Jesus most often sought out. Therefore, we must seek them out and taking care of creation, this wonderful gift that God has given us. 
And stewardship, stewardship of our resources. How, do we, how can we use what we have to make the world a better place? And most importantly, love. Because that's what the book of John is all about. That's what it's trying to point towards, that this great love that God has is this magnificent movement that continues throughout history that God became human, walked among us, experienced things like us, suffered and died for us to show us how much God loves us. To tell us we don't need to prove ourselves anymore. We don't have to try and prove ourselves over others, but God loves us for who we are and where we are at. So then, for us, what Jesus does is the law says you have to, whereas Jesus says you want to. If we move away from being legalistic in our beliefs and towards Jesus in the way of grace, the law doesn't necessarily disappear, but it becomes something that you want to do. You're not just helping and giving to the poor because you have to, because the law tells you to, because you want to, because you have received the grace and love from Jesus, and you want to extend that to others. Other examples could be that going to church, maybe. And that's one big in Christianity where the law, you feel like sometimes you have to. Maybe some of us grew up in the ways that you have to go to church Sunday is church day, that that's what you do, nothing else. You have to go, it's the Sabbath, you have to rest, all of that. But when you love Jesus, when you receive that love, when you become whole through Jesus Christ, then you are going to want to. That if you miss a Sunday or if you go on vacation and you miss a Sunday, that there isn't this shame and guilt built onto you because you know that it is something that you do want to do and not something you have to. So what are the ways in your life that you can break the shackles of shame, that you can break the masks that you wear, that you can live into the wholeness of God? Where are the places in your life where you feel like you are faking it until you make it? This week, may you think about that. May you think about how you can pick up your mat, your brokenness. We can use the mat as this metaphor for our brokenness. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't leave you when you become whole either. You still see the brokenness in yourself. You see the sinfulness in yourself. It's still a part of you, but it's not going to be the thing that defines you. But instead, Christ and the wholeness that he brings to you is what is going to define you. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, may you continue to work in our hearts. May you continue to create wholeness in us. That we may figure out and discover the true self you created us to be. That we may not hide behind the law, behind our masks anymore. That we may live fully into who you want us to be and to bring king, the kingdom of God here and now to care for others, to love our neighbors, to stand up against injustice, to free the oppressed, to care for one another. Help us to find the ways in our own lives where we miss out on seeing how we can help others because we're so concerned with checking the boxes to make you happy. 
Give us a spirit of knowing that what makes you happy is to live as you created us to be. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.